Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Hey, good morning, Battersea. Good morning, Westside. Good morning, Ballum. And good morning, those who are still in bed. Good morning to you as well. It's great to be with you here this morning. My name is Andy. I'm part of the church here at this site here in Ballum. And uh, wonderful to get to share on the book of Jonah with you this morning. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for this ancient story so many hundreds of years ago. And yet how you are going to speak to us here in the 21st century through this story this morning. So we're welcome right now to have your way in our lives. Come and speak to us, challenge us, reveal more of who you are and who we're called to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. So last week we looked at Jonah 1, which is fantastic. Today we're looking at Jonah 2. Mike shared last week the idea of why are we perhaps running from God? Are we running from God and why? And I want to share, kind of just opening up a little bit from Jonah 1 as well as we kind of go into Jonah 2. My kids, I think I might mention before, my kids loved playing hide and seek. Anybody here still like playing hide and seek? About eight of you, okay. Actually, we're too old now, we're mature. And well, my kids, when they were very young, they were so bad at it, it was hilarious. Because you kind of count down from 10, your eyes closed, and you'd hear them clanking around... And you knew exactly where they were, and you'd open your eyes to try and find them. And they'd be looking directly at you whilst hiding their body, thinking, ha ha, he can't see me. Uh, Where are they? Where where could they be? My kids, though, now, 11 and 9, are actually pretty good at hide-and-seek. And they begin to get that panicking moment as a parent when you're playing hide-and-seek, and and you think, where the heck are my kids? When half an hour goes by and you're still trying to find them, thinking, do I now call the police? And just say, you know, I've lost my kids somewhere in my house, I think. It's kind of of awkward. In this story, Jonah is running away in chapter one. And there's a sense almost that he's trying to hide from God. He's going to Tarshish, but he goes specifically by boat. He goes out on the Mediterranean. Now, the Israelites were not a seafaring nation. They believed the sea was a place of chaos. As you just heard that passage out from Revelation 21, there'll be, a, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and there'll be no sea. That's quite scary for me. I love surfing, so I'm quite scared of this new picture of a new heaven, new earth, no sea. But for the Israelites, the sea was a, a symbolic picture of chaos, of a place perhaps where God even isn't almost there. The Israelites believe that God was a God of Israel. And so when Jonah goes out towards Tarshish, he's going out of the sea, almost trying to hide away and escape from the presence of God. What I love about it is in verse 4, is it says that the wind blows on the ocean to create this storm. And the word for wind is the word ruach, which we have in Genesis 1-2. The spirit, the ruach of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The idea here is that Jonah can't escape from God. No matter where he goes, he cannot escape from God. That last verse in chapter one, the Lord provided this huge fish. I want to remind you as we start this kind of looking at Jonah 2 this morning, that no matter what you've done, no matter where you think you can go, you can't hide from God. But the challenge to me is this, is that Jonah was a prophet. 
So he's a man, I presume, a man of prayer. You'd expect a prophet who could speak God's word, speak God's thing into a moment, was a guy who prayed, yeah? That can make kind of common sense. Except it appears in Jonah chapter 1 that he is not really a man of prayer. I mean, just picture this scenario, okay? I would have prayed at various intervals, but he doesn't. In chapter 1, there is this violent storm. Jonah, no prayer. The ship threatens to break up. Jonah, no prayer. The sailors are afraid. Now, if you've been on an aeroplane and you kind of get a bit nervous, it's always okay until you look at the air hostess. When they get nervous, you know it's time to get nervous, yeah? The sailors are afraid. Jonah, no prayer. The sailors begin to cry out to their gods. Jonah, no prayer. They start throwing their cargo over the ship. They're so desperate for their lives, they're thinking, quick, let's just throw all of our wealth. This is so important that we stay alive. Jonah, no prayer. Then the captain says to Jonah, get up and call on your God. He's told to pray. And Jonah, no prayer. Then he's said, right, pick me up and throw me into the sea, saying, I'd rather be dead. And even in this moment, there is no prayer. Isn't that quite phenomenal? Just me, perhaps. Okay. <laughs> Chapter 2, verse 1, inside the fish. It says in verse 7, my soul fainted within me. Finally, in chapter 2, verse 1, Jonah prays. And you think, flipping heck, about time, eh? <laughs> no matter where you go or what you do, you can't escape God. But the choice you have is how desperate things have to get before you'll call out to him. Actually, we can coast through life not actually calling out to God, but trying to trap through life, thinking we can do it in our own strength, but things can get pretty desperate, pretty dark, pretty difficult. But at what point will we recognize that God is present and that we can call out to him? We can invite him into the situations we are facing, but perhaps sometimes he's the last resort rather than the first resort. When we call out to God, there are some times when God breaks in miraculously. And I love this story of Jonah because God breaks in miraculously, provides this massive, humongous fish which swallows him up. There are some times in life when God does not break in miraculously. There are some times when God doesn't do the amazing and the incredible, but actually just gives us a peace and an ability to persevere even through difficult times. Just one quick example from the book of Acts I love. For many years after Jonah, Jesus came, his life is to have his resurrection. There's the missionary Paul in Acts 16. In Acts 16, Paul is in Philippi. He's in prison, he's in chains, and he prays. And the miraculous happens. The doors fly open and the chains come off. How incredible is that? Ten years later, he's writing to the church in Philippi. He's in Rome. He's under house arrest. He's in chains, he's praying, and there is no miraculous escape. He writes in Philippians 1-2, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Things looked desperate for Paul in this moment, but he knows he's where God has called him to be. And actually in that place, there is no great rescue, but a real sense of peace and perseverance. Jonah, in this story, is in this really desperate place. He knows he's rebelled against God, he's gone in his own way, he's headed for Tarshish rather than for Nineveh, and now he's in the belly of this big fish. 
Now, we kind of read that line and go, wow, that's pretty cool. But let's just try and pitch it for a second, okay? So can you close your eyes, right? Just use your imagination right now, okay? Can you imagine what it's like being inside the belly of a fish? It's dark. Pitch black. Your clothing is sodden with seawater. It's claustrophobic. I imagine it's quite warm. And it stinks. The smell of rotting fish. Then there's this acid in the tummy that actually is burning your skin. And there's the muffled sound of the sea and perhaps the sound of the fish's heart beating. Just imagine that for a second. Okay, open your eyes now. Some of you are getting quite scared, so open your eyes. It's not, it's not real. You're not there right now. But it's a powerful image, and perhaps in some ways it can be a metaphor for how some of us feel at certain points in our lives. That life can become really difficult and dark and claustrophobic and feel like things are, are impossible. And just imagine the emotion that Jonah is feeling. I imagine he's absolutely full of fear. I was asked to speak by Michael and Jonah, and it's been quite a busy period. I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to speak on Jonah. That'd be fantastic. And uh, then he gave me Jonah chapter 2. And what's really annoying is I have three sermons on Jonah already. I have one on Jonah 1, one on Jonah 3, and one on Jonah 4. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I've never really spoken on Jonah 2 before, because almost I like 1, 3, and 4, because they're full of action. And I'm an action kind of person. But Jonah 2 is where things really slow down. We get this window into the life of Jonah and into the prayer life of Jonah. Let's read from Jonah uh, chapter 2. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. What a beautiful picture that is, this kind of... <laughs> Next bit down. He continues. Next slide, that's right. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Wow. This is chapter 2. It's mainly a prayer. This piece of almost poetry, almost that Jonah's kind of writing it inside the belly of this big fish. It's quite a random place to write some poetry. One of my favourite stories to tell, uh, I lived for a while, many years ago, in Hawaii. Um, and I was uh, there surfing quite a lot, and uh, we went to the beach one day, and uh, there's this one spot you could surf about kind of half a mile from land. I was with this guy from Canada, and he was a really bad surfer, he was just learning, he was like, well, let's go and surf there together. He's like, yeah, great. So we got on our boards, we paddled out half a mile out to sea to this reef, where the reef drops off down into the deep ocean. And I caught my first wave, and I came to the surface, and my friend, this Canadian guy, shouted to me, Andy, shark, Andy. Now, I thought, you're from Canada? Perhaps in Canada, that's funny. There can't really be a shark in the water. 
and I turned my head and saw the shark fin this big out of the water right by him and coming towards me. The water went a funny brown colour around me <laughs> as I tried to work out what do I try and do here. And as it went along, it began to go underneath the water, and I thought, oh, no, so I got ready for a bump, ready to be attacked by this thing. And your mind's thinking, what do I do in this situation? Should I try and jump into the water and fight the shark like a real man? No. I said, mate, mate we're just going to pray. So I prayed this most profound, deep, kind of poetry-esque prayer. Jesus, save us! Amen! And my friend paddled over towards me, and the sharks from beneath us, and we carried on paddling towards shore and didn't look back again, and we were absolutely okay in the end. But quite a scary experience. Desperate prayers tend to be quite short. This talk is titled, The Kind of Prayer God's Hear, God Hears. And in these seven verses, there are two main attributes of this prayer that really get God's attention. The first is humility. Verse 2. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. A recognition, uh, a recognition there for Jonah that he needs help. He can't do this. He's stuck without God. He can't do this in his own strength. This is humility. Verse 3, you hurled me into the depths. Actually, it was the sailors who threw him into the depths, but he recognizes that God has been working behind the scenes, that God has almost orchestrated this, that God is at work. That is humility. Verse 4, I've been banished from your sight. A recognition that Jonah has gone his own way. He's directly disobeyed God. He's been selfish, living for himself. That is humility. Verse 6, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit recognition that God saved him from drowning. Verse 5, he'd been wrapped in seaweed. In verse 6, he's hit the reef, and yet he's alive because of God. That is humility. Verse 7, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, a recognition of who God is. He remembers who God is. That is humility. How many of our prayers have this sense, this depth of humility? The second thing is this. This prayer is a prayer of surrender. Verse 4, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. A recognition needs to fix his eyes back on God. He's not expressing there a confidence that one day he'll see Jerusalem again, but it's, it's an expression they use, I'm going to turn my eyes back towards God. That is a prayer of surrender. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. A recognition of the need to let go of idols. Perhaps for Jonah, his idols were living a comfortable life and his pride. This is a prayer of surrender. In verse 9, but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. A recognition of sacrifice. Sacrifices are costly. This is surrender. Verse 9 continued, what I have vowed I will make good. A recognition of the call upon his life, the challenge to go to Nineveh, that may well cost him his life. That is surrender. I hate going through difficult and dark seasons in my life. And over the years, we've all gone through difficult, perhaps, and challenging times. When things don't pan out as we hope they'll pan out. When someone dies, when a job ends, when things move on, when there's a broken relationship. And it's really hard. But for Jonah in this dark place something incredible happens. It's in this dark place that everything is laid bare. It's in this dark place that he finds something 
to be thankful for. It's in this dark place that he knows God hears him. It's in this dark place that his attitude begins to shift. It's in this dark place that he discovers God's grace. It's in this dark place that he comes to his senses. Before Jonah can go to Nineveh, before Nineveh can be changed, he is changed. Before Nineveh repents, he has to repent. Our mission and our calling flows from a revelation of who God is and this idea of praying a prayer of humility and a prayer of surrender. Really interesting little fact is that the grammar in this passage, the gender of the big fish changes from male to female. It's actually a picture, I think, of rebirth, almost being born again, as the belly of this fish isn't a place of death, but a place where new life begins. These seven verses are a prayer of humility and surrender. Will we pray such prayers? Whether today you feel like you're in a belly, or perhaps today you feel like you are living a nice, comfortable life, like Jonah in chapter one, will you pray such prayers of humility and prayers of surrender? I believe that when we do, God can powerfully use our lives in various different ways. The final line of this chapter, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What an amazing line in scripture. This, this kind of big fish vomiting Jonah. And uh, you might be thinking, well, what does it look like? Well, I've got a picture for you, uh, which has been painted by Peter last one. There you go. I think Jonah's actually physically flying through the air as he kind of gets kind of spat out of the, uh, the big fish's uh, mouth. That's a picture from 1621, so there you go. It's that last line, and the Lord commanded the fish, it's just a reminder again that the main character in the book of Jonah isn't Jonah, and the main character isn't the big fish, and the main character isn't the sailors, and the main character isn't even the Ninevites. The main character is God. God is working in and through this story. And so Jonah ends up vomited. I guess he must have been covered in vomit rather than be looking quite so clean. He looks very kind of, ew. Um, I think he's been covered in kind of, his hair might have been bleached off and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, he's there, he's kind of vomited up on the beach. 400-mile walk away from Nineveh, and he almost has to retrace some of his footsteps to go back to where God's called him to be. And what I love about this is that God gives him another opportunity to be obedient. Our past mistakes, our past failings, our past disobedience does not disqualify us from future service. No matter what you've done, God still wants to use you and your life to do some incredible things. To close, I want to draw on that last line in verse 9. Salvation comes from the Lord. God shows how committed he is to Jonah with a big fish, rescuing him and actually transporting him back to the land again. But God's commitment to you is way bigger than a big fish. His commitment to you is his son, Jesus. 800 years after Jonah, Jesus is sent into a violent and turbulent world. Again, there's a storm. And just like Jonah, Jesus is asleep in the boat as the storm kicks off. But when he awakes, 
Jesus says, peace, be still. Jesus clearly says on two occasions that he will give the sign of Jonah, the idea of being in the belly in death for three days. And then this is called to a great city, not the great city of Nineveh, but the great city of Jerusalem. Jesus knows exactly what lies ahead. The Romans are violent and effective in their executions. And yet Jesus sets out resolutely to go to Jerusalem. And there's a garden where Jesus prays this prayer. This prayer that is marked with humility and surrender. As sweat and blood forms on his brow, he realizes just what is going to happen. He says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And yet in that moment, he prays this prayer of humility, this prayer of surrender, when he says, not my will be done, but yours. Not my will be done, but yours. Jesus goes to the cross for you and for me. So we just shared in that meal just now, that communion. And Jonah declares in that verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord. Well, actually, the name Jesus means God is salvation. And it's his life, his death, and his resurrection that opens up the way that we can know our Father in heaven and invite the Spirit of God to live in our lives. God's commitment to us is way bigger than a big fish. His commitment to us is Jesus. So there's a challenge for me, I think for you in these ancient verses from so many years ago. The first thing is, are we willing to pray prayers of humility and surrender? That simple prayer, not my will, but yours be done. And we do this not because we just have to do this, but because almost we want to respond to what Christ has done for us. The way he came to earth, the way he lived, the way he died, the way he rose again. And we say thank you, not with a little letter, but we say thank you with our lives, saying here is our lives. We want to live lives of humility and surrender to you. Perhaps for some of us, things have got pretty desperate. And we've kept letting things get more and more and more desperate without actually calling out to God. Perhaps this morning is a moment to call out to God. And perhaps for some of us, We've never actually said yes to Jesus. You want to know this God who gives us second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances who allows us to know his grace and his love and his mercy. As the band comes up here now and the band comes up to the other sites as well, let me just say a prayer as we respond to these ancient words and this story of Jonah. Father God, right now we pray. We pray, God, that as we reflect upon this ancient story, that we would know how committed you are to us. May we know the truth of the life of Jesus for our own lives, for the love you have for each and every one of us. If you've never said yes to that love before, we say yes right now to your love and your grace and your mercy in our lives. And we respond by saying, like Jonah in this belly, may we not wait till things get so desperate, but right here and right now, we give you a prayer of humility and a prayer of surrender. 
For me personally, I pray, not my will be done, but yours in my life. Perhaps just now in this moment, you want to pray that prayer for yourself. Not your will, but God's will. Not your will, but God's will in your workplace. Not your will, but God's will in your community. Not your will, but God's will in your family. Not your will, but God's will in this city, in this place. We humbly say that you are God. We humbly say that you are the King of Kings. And we surrender our lives to you afresh. We thank you that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, we can't hide from you. But help us in this moment right now just to turn afresh to you, to welcome you into our lives. We say we love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.